0: Today on The Colin and Tamir Show, we're interviewing Jarvis Johnson. Jarvis is a commentary YouTuber with a really interesting backstory. He started his career as a software engineer working at companies like Google and Yelp, and he eventually made his way to Patreon. He always loved YouTube, so while he was at Patreon, he decided to start posting videos. The first videos that really took off for him were all about his life as a software engineer. He talked about working in tech, but that wasn't really the audience that he wanted to connect with. So he took a risk and pivoted to comedy commentary. The commentary genre on YouTube is huge. It includes creators like Cody Ko, Curtis Connor, Tiffany Ferg, Danny Gonzalez, Drew Gooden, the list goes on. But the really interesting thing about commentary on YouTube is that it's really people sitting at their desk. It relies on their thoughts and how they articulate those thoughts to an audience. In a world where YouTube videos are becoming very expensive and so much based in spectacle, it's fascinating to see that creators like Jarvis are getting millions and millions of views sitting at their desk. Most of Jarvis's most popular YouTube videos cover what he deems terrible channels. In this interview, we dive into the commentary genre on YouTube. We also talk about how Jarvis left a six-figure job at Patreon to go full-time on YouTube, how he pivoted his content, and how he's navigated life on the internet. All right, we hope you guys enjoy this. There is a YouTube video to go along with this on the channel right now, but let's get into our interview with Jarvis Johnson. So how would you explain the type of content you make right now?
1: How would I explain the content I make right now? Um, It's a good question. The way that I would explain it is comedy commentary. I also see people describe it as like reaction videos just from the the formulation of it, how the actual content looks. But the idea is, you know, what's, what's something goofy that I have an opinion on that I can like make jokes about? And then I'm either writing a script about that on like one of my channels where it's like a little bit more prepared, or I'm just riffing off the cuff and doing more reactions, but I'm trying to like the ratio of content of like of source material to like my content is is usually like I'm adding a lot more than I'm taking if that makes sense like I'll watch 30 Mm -hmm. seconds and then just go off for like a lot or not even watch 30 seconds watch five seconds and then go
2: off for like a while how do you sort of like survey the landscape and decide what you want to make a video about like do you have a process for that or is it just sort of something (laughs) internally where you you just have to talk about it
1: um I think sometimes things just like Land on your lap and you're like, oh, that's like a um, like an animation channel made a video about me or made a video about a guy who was addicted to drinking breast milk and he looked like me and his name was Jarvis. And so I was like, okay, <laughs> this is content that has just been placed on my yeah, lap. Yeah. yeah. You, you can't know what let I mean? that one pass by. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's free. That's free real estate. Mm-hmm. But um uh, other times there's things that, you know. I'll I'll sometimes survey my audience and that's how I found out about the devious licks trend on TikTok Mm -hmm. where it was like, oh, people are just trashing, they're just stealing stuff from school or they're trashing bathrooms and stuff like that. And I was like, how big is this really? And then I did a call out for just people to share their stories with me and I got like teachers and students and people from all over the place, people were sending me like their morning announcements videos that are unlisted on YouTube of their principal going, this has to stop. We have to stop debasing the the, the, <laughs> the holy land of school. And I was like, wow, what a ridiculous like thing that is also just a, a wacky TikTok trend. So I do like taking the things that we just like, um, we'll say, oh, you know, isn't it wacky what the kids are doing? And we just like, move on from it and don't pay it any attention what if we actually like drill down into that and see like what what's going on and why and uh and that's fun that's fun for me so sometimes it's current events sometimes it's like things that like tickle my uh tickle my fancy or things that just have uh an unexpected underbelly like very early on in my channel I talked about content right I still do talk about content farms a lot but the stranglehold that like five minute crafts and that Mm -hmm. sort of ilk had on YouTube back in like 2018 was something where it's like, this is being recommended to everyone. What is it and why? Cause like these aren't videos that like most people I know are clicking on, but they're getting millions and millions of views. So what's the deal? But in terms of how I actually come up with ideas, it's a lot of scouring the internet. It's a lot of um, making a list of whenever I see something like bookmarking it and then like, going and like having a meeting where we like, look at all the ideas. I usually work with um, primarily one other person who's like a producer um, who I used to do improv comedy with. Uh, And so like, we'll like sit and like, just look at stuff and go, Ed, does this work? Does this work? Or what does this work for? Because Mm -hmm. now there's a couple of different ways to package content.
0: What do you think the ingredients are that make Commentary videos so enjoyable to watch for the audience because, like, even my my wife doesn't watch YouTube. Yeah, but she loves commentary videos. Yeah, like the Cody Co, Noel Miller, um, Mark McGrath. Have you ever oh, seen that? Yes, I have.
1: That's I like have. one of her favorite videos yeah, on the yeah, internet, yeah.
0: and she can watch it over and That's over so and laugh, and she'll send it to people, and she like cries laughing watching that video. Yeah. And that got her into like Cody and seeing uh, you know like yeah, yeah, watching yeah. other commentary right. videos and I'm so curious. I was like, she won't watch any other YouTube. Yeah. Um like what is the what, what in your perspective is the ingredients that make it have such a mass appeal?
1: I think it's very similar to stand-up comedy where you're hearing someone's comedic voice, you're hearing their takes, you're hearing their opinions and Typically you can see, ideally you can see yourself in those. So if like I, I, I make an observation, you're like, I agree with that. I see that this is also reflective of my, my worldview, or this is just goofy and we're like sharing a laugh. It's kind of like the combination of the, the sort of podcast parasocial thing where it's like, I spend a lot Mm -hmm. of time with this person in my ears. I feel like we're friends And the shared experience of like having a laugh with your friends, Mm. especially like Cody and Noel stuff together, like definitely has that, definitely has that vibe. I think that it's like a combination of those two things.
2: Yeah. Um, I think think commentary, commentary channels are also refreshingly self-aware. Yes. And maybe that's something you only notice if you watch a ton of YouTube. Yeah. Yeah. But it's easy to feel like a lot of YouTube channels are taking themselves really seriously. Yeah. Which is fine. Yeah, Yeah, Yeah. Yeah. But it's really nice when you come to a commentary channel and they're completely aware of the fact that they're doing something that's not that serious. That it's like fun. Even if they put tons of hours of writing into it or they meticulously edited it, it comes off as like easy, which I guess is what comedy does as well. Right, right,
1: right. Yeah, exactly. Because it's like when you watch a stand-up set, you're not thinking about the hours that someone spent workshopping the material. Um, it, It seems very effortless and easy because that's the way that it's meant to be consumed. Mm-hmm. You know, it's almost like finding friends that you agree with who are sort of in for telling you stories that keep you engaged. Right.
0: What is like the, the Jarvis Johnson content landscape right yeah, now? Yeah. Cause you have a couple different channels.
1: You have Twitch. I'm just yeah, curious. Exactly. Like what is
0: the, the so for
1: me content? it is um, there's the main channel, which I had like a bit of an identity crisis about the, about a couple months ago. Where That's I'm, the
0: telltale sign that you're like a, a career YouTuber. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, you have yeah, like an existential identity crisis. Yeah, and well, I, you got to schedule did those. You, did too. you start another channel?
1: Yeah. Well, I uh, pl- started plenty of channels. <laughs> of that, what I'm moving towards is the main channel being more um, premeditated, usually more written or at least outlined, um, higher lift content, and then I have a second channel which is called Jarvis Johnson Gold, um, and it's a premium channel that's free. (laughs) Because the original uh, reason that I made that channel was that I used to over-prepare videos. So I would have two hours of material for a video that would cut down to like 15 minutes. And I was like, there is definitely other stuff here that Mm. I could just put out. And I know there's an appetite for it. Mm -hmm. So then I would kind of cut those videos just into it's like the cutting room floor stuff, but I would structure it as if it was its own standalone piece. Uh, But then, then it morphed into, I just want to go off the cuff about something silly and I don't want to think too much about it. And I don't want the stakes to be that high because if there's a country music, TikTok house, maybe that's fun to look at for 30 minutes, but it's not something I want to pour over for days and script about because I don't Mm. really have that much to say. um, And I don't, think it's causing any harm but it's just like interesting and funny at the same time um and harmless you know mm-hmm. in other times it's a it's a place for mitigating risk you know cuz like there, I put the radio shack video on my second channel because I wasn't sure twitter being the least sort of one of the lesser relevant um social medias and radio shack being kind of a niche like US mm-hmm. only type thing, a story about their Twitter going bananas. I'm not sure how wide the appeal is for that. So, so then I, um so when I'm not sure, sometimes I'm just like, eh, put it on the gold channel.
0: Have you found that like some of that content that you put on the second channel, like overperforms yes. because you're much more liberated and free? Absolutely. Yeah, It's just like a classic, this is like a classic tale for all creators yes. with their second Absolutely. channels, right?
1: Yeah. Oh, hundred percent. And I, I think we've seen it time and time again, and that's what emboldened me to do it. I was like, DeAngelo Wallace has a second channel. Yes. I've seen other mm-hmm. people's second channels like overtake their yeah. main channels. And for me, uh, because I was getting so in my head about my main channel, I was like, "Well, this is content that couldn't exist if I was forced to only put it on the main channel." So now, you know, if I was uh, if I was really second guessing. Whether or not to make something now, I have a place I can just make it rather than shelving it mm. indefinitely.
2: So that decision then is based a little bit out of fear.
1: Oh yeah. Oh, there's Completely so much out of fear. fear. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I call it mitigating risk. You call it fear. I call it fear. Also, okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it is also a proving ground and a place to like yeah. learn and yep. kind of have my most engaged, um, my most engaged audience. But it's nice that I can not stress myself out as much about it. I think a lot of these things are more internal than they are external. Because many people don't know the difference between the two things because they don't know the work that goes into it. And they just go, I enjoyed it the same. But like your video about
2: Dan Blazarian on the main channel, that is what I would think is more high lift. Like you can tell that's very much written. It's investigative. It's almost like John Oliver.
1: Exactly. And that's like the way I used to and still in some ways think about my main channel at least when I would do commentary pieces is like John Oliver with less stakes (laughs) you know it's like (laughs) because I'm probably not going to talk about you know uh, pollution or you know how the world is ending at least by the result of you know (laughs) like I'm not going to talk about the governmental functions or whatever You're not trying to
2: get like banned from a country. Right, exactly. (laughs) Uh,
1: But I do think the format is valid in like, um, in many ways, a lot of things like John Oliver, even like The Daily Show, like back in Jon Stewart days, are kind of just what commentary YouTube is, like, structure is very similar. Mm. So going back to the question of, yeah, like, how does the whole ecosystem fit together? Then there's, the Twitch stream, which is still very much like in hobby mode right now because it's just like fun to do. I'm still trying to figure out what Twitch is, but I have like one big, like, sort of show on Twitch, and that's Darman Bingo, where yeah. it's like the premise of that is like we all are aware of, of Darman and his moral stories, uh, but. So, so I don't think I could add anything. If I were to make a main or gold video about Darman, I do not think that I can say anything that hasn't been said. However, uh, the videos we found are so formulaic that you can make a bingo board about hyper specific tropes, and that yeah. is pretty fun yeah, yeah. <laughs> because because it's fun for someone to because also there's a little um, bingo application where. People type in, um, they go to the link and everyone gets their own bingo board. And then we can, everyone plays for like a gift sub or something like that at the end. But it's also funny for new players because if you haven't watched the 30 some odd episodes, there are of it you may ask a question like, why is spaghetti on the bingo board? What could spaghetti sure. happen to mm-hmm. do with Dharma videos? But then for longtime fans, most of the time they ate food, it's spaghetti. And that's just a fun <laughs> thing. That's just a fun oh, thing that funny. you notice and then you never unsee. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so, So uh, that is, um, it's also like a lower lift place for collabs and places yeah. just to like, yeah. you know, have fun, have a friend pop in for a few minutes and stuff like that. Because Twitch is... Um, not my main cup of tea. There's all these eyeballs on YouTube that would be into this content completely unedited. And so I essentially have a VOD channel um, called, it was originally called Jarvis Johnson VOD, but I realized a lot of people were asking me what VOD stood for. And I was like, don't worry about it. So I changed it to Jarvis Johnson live and it's just like sliced up VODs with the thumbnail and title. And that's actually like doing really well. Like, it, you know, it's like compared to what I would expect. You know, getting a couple hundred thousand or even a couple million views on unedited vods right. is like a wild. That's crazy. Like uh-huh. thing. Yeah, and it's cool to have that as another place to experiment and and learn things about your audience and. When I went to my meet and greet, um, I, I found that like that type of stuff is the stuff that like my most engaged audience sure. loves because they're when I'm stre- when I'm streaming semi a couple of times a week, that means there's daily content on the the VOD channel. Mm-hmm. And when I went to uh, VidCon and I had a meet and greet, that was like most people were talking about the streams, which. I'm only like, it's like one to 2,000 concurrence when I'm live on Twitch, but then there's, you know, hundreds of thousands of views on the actual VODs. Mm -hmm. I think it's because like also a streaming
0: audience has impact on the stream itself. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Right? So they're creating the content with you. Yeah. Uh, And like we at VidCon went to the Dream SMP panel.
2: That was like- the most engaged fan base was there, right? right. It's like yeah. they have impact and they have the most amount of available time to spend with you, Yeah, right? Yeah, <laughs> right. So. yeah.
1: yeah it's amazing. And, and I, some of that stuff is born out of me myself consuming a lot of Twitch VODs at mm-hmm. home or, or watching Twitch streams where I'm just like, I just need something in the background while I do my chores and finding a seven minute video, I'm going to have to switch my video so soon or even a 20 minute video, wow, whereas like, If I'm driving somewhere, like if I'm going to see my friends in Irvine, it's like gonna take me a couple hours to get there or an hour to get there. But if I'm going to San Diego, it's gonna take me a couple hours to get there. Let me pop on a Twitch stream or a VOD, then I'm never gonna have to. It's like a radio show, you know? Wow, yeah. You know, whereas and that is the I think the type of consumption that when I look in my analytics. I could be discouraged if I saw that a 30 minute VOD clip is getting the same retention as a 30 minute YouTube video on my main channel, yeah, you know, if yeah. I, if I like really thought about it, but when, when I think about the type of, when I think about it, it's a, a, it's a more niche audience and it's, a um, the type of consumption is very much like background, like set it and forget it. You know, yeah, like, yeah. I don't know if you heard this about like Netflix recently, obviously they're you know, going through some trials and tribulations right now with um, Identity and their their IPs, but they've spoken um, about trying to find new, not new Squid Games, but new Emily in Paris's mm. because that show is, like, very cheap to produce, and it's a show that people, like, put on in the background. Laundry TV. Exactly, yeah. exactly, yeah. and, like, finding that... Um, What do they call it? They call it like ambient television or something. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah, I've heard
0: it as laundry TV, which is like TV you put on to
2: fold the laundry.
1: Yeah, Yeah. exactly. Even even
2: YouTube now has a listenable tab. Right. If you're going through search, like they have podcasts, but they also have listenable.
1: Oh, I um, have had YouTube Premium for as long as they've had background listening Mm -hmm. because that's the primary way that I'm consuming. I am not looking at my phone most of the time. I'm watching a YouTube video on my phone, and uh, so your Twitch streams are Emily in Paris but your A main channel bit. is
2: Squid Game.
1: Sort of. <laughs> Ideally.
2: I don't think I have my Squid Game yet. Yeah, okay. I don't have my Squid Probably Game yet. yet. But, but that, like, when you talk about Love is Blind on your main channel and it gets yeah. like 1.5 million yeah, views, yeah, right? Yeah. Like, people are most likely plugged into that.
1: Yeah, like, yeah for sure. Because you have to watch the
2: source material. Yeah, you do.
1: Yeah. Or, I, and that stuff is really interesting because I'm presenting it. I would say that, hmm, I actually don't know the percentage, but just like... Um, Qualitatively, like looking at comments and stuff. The, whenever I'm putting something about the Bachelor or yeah. something about like one of these reality shows on my main channel, I'm going, okay, this is topical, but I want to make sure that the person doesn't have to watch the thing to know what's sure. going on.
0: When we interviewed Marquez, uh, he, he said to us, you know, he he views this as like a, a long term. Um, career for himself and a, a lot of it is because in the tech genre he was like the tech needs to be interesting i don't need to be interesting yeah And that was a really interesting comment that yeah. i hadn't really heard before yeah uh, and i'm curious when you look at the commentary genre as a whole because it kind of has emerged right on mm-hmm, youtube like it is sure. a you can close your eyes and imagine if you watch youtube like yeah. cody co drew Gooden, y- curtis connor yeah, you, yeah right and like, yeah, there's, like there's, there's also a curve of collaboration
2: that's yeah, really the, heavy yeah. so you a, can't help but see like Drew and yeah. Danny and yeah. Cody. Or I mean, Mike, there's, Curtis you know, like
1: Chad, like, Chad. There's a lot of yeah. new new creators too. Like, is, Nick is not green, yeah.
0: Is that a similar... Do you feel similarly about that? that? The, a lot, some of the reason that you feel stability in the genre or in your content is because as long as there's weird internet trends, culture, things happening, there's something for you to react to. And as long as that's interesting, you can still make videos.
1: So I definitely, like... Don't wholly disagree with that, but I think the commentary is always going to be around. You know, the the uh, ecosystem that the commentary genre came up in is like when like Logan Paul and Jake Paul were doing something wacky every week. Got it. You mm-hmm. know, and, and it's like, oh, he went to Japan and he did what? And and like that, and not even specifically the thing that we're all thinking right. about, but even like um, throwing pokeballs at Japanese people and stuff or at cars and stuff like that, where it's like, why are you doing this? Or these wacky music videos. And, um, that type of stuff is not really happening on YouTube prank, like prank videos and Mm -hmm. things like that. Like a lot of these things are not happening on YouTube in the same way. And I think that some of the stuff that is worth talking about, uh, it can be kind of dark as well. And so I think that that's, you know, why some people have moved more into, um, you know, like movies and, and things of that nature. So there is definitely always something to talk about and the format, like is strong, like, I, I I noticed this very early when um, I was talking about, like, life hacks and stuff. There was a certain point where I was just, like, not surprised by anything. You know, it's like, there's only... And I can't fake... I, I, I couldn't, like, phone that in to save my life. Like, I kind of need to, like, be um, exposed to, like, novel things. Like, when I first talked about 5-Minute Crafts, I was like, this is the wildest thing I've ever seen. Yeah. And I need to get to the bottom of this. And now... I I've seen so much that it's hard for me to like kind of have that same reaction so I think that that's partly why I'm fo- like looking to different ways to follow my own curiosity because it's not always like I think the format is strong but I don't know if it's necessarily always the well that I want to personally be drawing from.
0: Mm. I always like try and judge things off of my wife and my brother, who are not really a part of internet culture,
2: mm-hmm.
1: like mm-hmm.
0: you can say Radio Shack, Twitter to sure. me, and I'm like, I, I like my mind is like, <laughs> I've read all the or tweets like I know Darmant. exactly, or like Darn, exactly. like, yeah, it's only, yeah, in, and we are collectively like very engulfed in yeah. in the internet's culture, right? Even yeah. Andrew Tate, there's a lot of people who have no idea who exactly, that guy is, exactly, right? but we're like we're so in this yeah. world. Um, I'm just curious if we go back in time, like, were you always? into the internet?
1: Yes. I think I am a person who spent most of their time online, just like growing up. My safe space growing up was like the computer room in my aunt's apartment where I would just like close the door and I would be in my like own little zone. Um, And when I walk into my office now, it kind of feels like that same, same Mm -hmm. vibe, but yeah. So, I mean,
0: like a little kid exploring. Yeah. Or just like
1: finding, I was, um, it's like, I had a weird childhood in that I lived far away. I mean, I had some like sort of stuff that I won't go into The just like challenges in my childhood, but I lived far away from my friends and I didn't go outside a lot on my own at a certain point. And so the place that I, and I also wasn't comfortable in my own skin. I wasn't Mm. like, I was a very shy kid, but the place that I could be myself and I could really explore my own creativity was online. I had a podcast when I was like 14 really. where, yeah, where it was just like me and my friends doing stuff. Like it was like, Oh, let's, it was like me and my friend Russell who like, it was like, let's learn to screen print t-shirts. Let's learn to edit videos. I made my, uh, There's a video on my channel, um, there's like the first video, one of the first videos on my channel, was me dancing high school musical, that was like put up in 2007. And uh, it was like, that was filmed at Russell's place with his dad's camera. And so it's like, uh, we would always like find little, like um, hobbies, like new new hobbies to do. Um, One of those was podcasting. So we did that and we just talked about things that pertain to 14 year olds. Were there people listening? Um yeah people from <laughs> it was distributed on Facebook and because Distribu- your podcast was distributed on Facebook well listen that was the that was the growth that was the growth engine that's where we had reach we had the tens of friends mm, or whatever from our yeah. school friends, yeah so
0: w- how does that like then evolve from there so you're you know you're making content online you're yeah. a part of these like niche very niche communities uh you have internet friends that
1: Correct me yeah. if I'm wrong,
0: but those are probably your primary friend group or your. Or at least friends.
1: it was like I had friends in real life, but I think it was like I spent just as much time talking to people online as I did mm-hmm. like Got offline. It. Yeah, and uh, from there, I mean, it was time to go to college, and so I ended up getting into Georgia Tech, and I like studied computer science, and so then my life became like sort of super focused on. On that. And there was a building aspect and a building aspect for small groups of people there right. too, because I think of like editing videos very much the same way as like writing code because you're just like creating a product and you know, these are just the tools of that you can um, manipulate mm-hmm. the, the thing that you're working with.
0: And it's all like a puzzle, right? It's like, yeah, this, exactly. this has to make sense so that this can this, make sense. It, so that this it activates sense. the
1: same like creative yeah. problem solving yeah. parts of my brain and then the like from there it was like, oh, the big deal is like let's go get an internship at like one of these fancy companies. And then I got an internship at Google after that doing like back end web development. And that was like the the big that was the the big deal. It was like, mm-hmm. oh my God, you know. I was a huge fan of stand up comedy like this whole time. I was a huge fan of like um, you know, going to see comedy shows, like you know i was uh not to flex but i was an early john Mullaney fan um oh. you know and I, that was my other thing i was listening to podcasts yeah, flexing us like that yeah yeah yeah, yeah. Uh, There's a lot of yeah <laughs> the it was like a combination of podcasts and like stand-up specials. Yeah, like I would yeah. just listen to like Donald Glover, John Mulaney, like Jim mm-hmm. Gaffigan, <laughs> you know, like or even like old school. Like um, remember the Dane Cook CD was like a oh big yeah deal that, was back big. Then. that was big that was big Dane Cook CD was a I big definitely thing. had that one yeah. I had that one Harmful is swallowed yeah. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah with the little like skull and crossbones on Dane Cook's head yeah. yeah
0: and did you but, have a desire to be a comedian at this time No,
1: I actually thought that I never could. Like I I, I always had this like thing where I was like, I'm in my own like lane doing, doing this stuff, this tech stuff. So I'm just going to, you know, go to SF sketch fest every year and like go to all these fun shows. And that's like when things are going to come to me and I'll go, you know, sometimes I'll go a little further for a concert or for a, a comedy show and that'll be the extent of it. And then I started doing improv. Um, once I got out to San Francisco and I got sort of settled at while I was still at Yelp, I started doing improv comedy and actually performing comedy. And then, uh, so I took, I took like the five classes and then I started performing on a Herald team every, every week. And, um, that was like the first taste I had for like performing. And then we actually got to perform at Sketchfest fest and being in like green rooms or being at like after parties and stuff with people that I, you know, had sort of held in really high regard. I was like, oh, these people are like actually accessible. This is kind of crazy. Yeah. Hm. I still feel like I'm in my own little world, but it is cool that I can like have this experience and this will be like the extent of it. Comedy at that time was like your second channel IRL. It's yeah, like, yeah. It was like low
0: stakes because it didn't, it wasn't connected to your like livelihood, right? Exactly, Like yeah. you were working at Yelp full time yeah. and got to express yourself creatively with yeah. no stakes really. yeah.
1: And, and even, like, and I th- when I left Yelp, it was partly because I had a lot of energy and wanted to, like, sort of further my career because I was very career-minded um, and wanted to continue growing, and especially in a system. This is the hardest part about, like, going full-time creators, like, because there was already a paved system that I could, like, work within, so I could just put all my energy into that and try to figure out how to, like, get myself as far as I could. Um, and so when Yelp kind of... Uh, I, I I had a lot of one on ones where I was like keep doing what you're doing and I was like, okay, but I'm asking to like do more. I'm asking for more responsibility, and it was just like there was just like too much red tape at the size of the company it was at. So I was like, okay, I'll go to a smaller company, and then that company ended up being Patreon.
0: How many people were involved? It was at like that f- point?
1: forty to fifty people, okay. I think, when I joined, and there was like and like less than half of that was engineering. So it was. They had just raised a Series B, so it wasn't like, I mean, now they've raised like Series G, F, whatever, and it's like a billion-dollar company or whatever, but back then it was like a $30 million valuation at their Series B, and it was like they were really hungry, and it was just a lot of people who were like professionals in whatever they did, but then were also like creative adjacent. They were huge fans of creators, or they were musicians, artists, everybody kind of had a thing and like my thing was uh, that I was doing improv on the side and like the team would come to like my improv like show when I had a big improv show, like people would come and that was like super cool. Uh, and I just kind of, I felt very like seen there, at least by like the actual, like my coworkers cause we all had so much in common is very, we all self-selected to be there at that stage of the company too. And so, like a lot of like heart and soul being put into being put into the product and put into work every day.
0: Was there, was there a moment where at Patreon you saw a creator start to earn a living and like a light bulb maybe went off and like, Oh wow. Okay. This is a, this is a, this is people are making real money doing this.
1: Yes. But it, it, I was always still like, Oh yeah, but not me. Right. But where I really felt like, um, Oh, we're not so different. <laughs> when it, the first time I had that feeling was Patreon had the first of uh, it's like internal convention called Patreon. And um the first year of it, it was at the Patreon office just on a weekend. And they were like having trouble finding people to volunteer. And I was like, I'll volunteer. I want to like hang out with creators mm-hmm. the whole weekend. And I was just like a note taker, like sitting in panels and like taking notes and stuff. And one of, the, like, one of the panels I was in was creators talking about their like, fears. When I was hearing people talk about stuff, I was like, wow, these are the things I'm worried about. You know, yeah. like, these are the reasons I'm not making anything. What were some of those fears? Um, I think that just like, honestly, it's all the classic stuff of like feeling like you're pigeonholed, feeling like you're not good enough, having that imposter syndrome, and, and then like financial security stuff. Um, and so that planted the seed. And then I ended up going to VidCon, myself and my friend Mayuko, um, who's now a full-time YouTuber. So that's another funny thing. Uh, We both went to a a panel that was like about starting, it's like, so you want to start a YouTube channel or something like that. And uh, Nick Jenkins, who uh, was a producer at SciShow uh, or a producer at Mm Complexly, like just doing SciShow and Crash Course and stuff, was was talking about... um, how there's, like, space for your voice on the internet. Because I definitely, in in my head, was like, well, no one wants to hear what I have to say, right? Like, that's, like, the natural. I feel like it's pretty natural to feel that way. Um, But still, like, wanting to create and wanting to put yourself out there and being a fan for so long. You at least want to, you know, sometimes I think I had a history of, like, being a fan of stuff and, like, wanting to try doing it. Mm -hmm. And... Uh, Maiko and I both like bought cameras and like made our first like videos and that was like the beginning of like my YouTube career I guess. Can you
2: walk us through what that first video was because we've watched it a couple times it's
1: well yeah my first video Ugh, it's so bad but it's that's the whole point of it is it's called baby steps and it's just like me doing a vlog brothersy style video where I'm talking about my fear of like um public failure. And it's something that I've struggled with in the past. And like, you know, still in some shades struggle with today, but the, I had put out a couple of videos very early on, on YouTube that like performed well for YouTube back then. Um, One of them was like the high school musical video, but then I also posted a couple of other videos that did well. But I think I got in my head about posting something that like underperformed, especially because I hadn't made anything that was like putting myself out there and I wanted to do that, but I was afraid to and where I was comfortable with the podcast because it was just the only audience was you know, friends of ours who were all, already accepted me as a person. Whereas like the internet is this very scary place to like put yourself out there. I was, yeah, I was worried that I couldn't make anything good. Uh, What I was arriving at in that video was like, that doesn't matter because you have to like make something bad to make something good. So it's like, this is like on the path. It's like that I, and so, so I'm like, I'm afraid to do something. So I'm going to do it and it's going to be bad, but we're going to do it anyway. And then we're going to keep going. And that was like the whole like message of the video.
2: It's interesting. You're watching it and it's like a message to your future self. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Almost reassuring that this career that you're potentially embarking on (laughs) has the absence of all of the rules that my other careers have had. Yeah, you know, you mentioned you're so like career focused. Like there are yeah. there are ways to succeed in yeah. high school, in college, yes. in your job. Yep, 100%. and you know what they are.
0: There's a great quote from this book, um, Creativity Inc. about mm. the the foundation of, of Pixar. Yeah, uh, and and he's talking about like in, I think it's the 60s or 70s. Uh, he's he's talking about wanting to become an animator, and he's recognizing that at that point it was much easier to explain to someone how to become a doctor yeah, than it was to become an animator. yeah. And I was recognizing that that was so similar to the world of being a creator in yes. that like, we all have a general understanding of like, oh yeah, you go to school, then you go to med school, then you get a residency, then you like, you, you
1: have a general right.
0: understanding of the roadmap to becoming a doctor. Definitely, definitely. But the general roadmap of becoming a creator, especially at that time was just like, I don't know. Yeah. Just mm-hmm. start uploading videos and then see what
1: happens. Yeah. And it's not that much better now. I mean, think, it is better, but even when I think I've always kind of had a chip on my shoulder about how opaque certain things are in the industry or or how, you know, predatory it can be when you start getting like outreach from yeah, sure people and you're like not sure how to vet them. I was not in that situation cuz like even the first contracts I was given, I was just like, "Hey, Colin, Patreon's you know counsel, can you point me at some mm. a lawyer contact who I can talk to? You know what I mean? Like, yeah, not everybody yeah. has that. Yeah. Specifically, like someone who like I was like, you know, somebody who works with creators on contracts. So, like, can you point me?
0: Yeah. yeah. Wait, that that from that first upload though to like yeah. that first year, when did things so like did you get more comfortable uploading? When did things like pick up? So.
1: Myuko's first video uh, got a million views. <laughs> so, like, my first video was like, everything I make is gonna be bad. Yeah. And then, like, <laughs> myiko's first video was like, the Life of a Software Engineer," and it just like blew up. And uh, and, and it was, you're like, I'm done. I right. was like, What is this supposed to happen? Like, am yeah. I already a like failure at <laughs> this? And um, and she was like making videos about uh, life in tech and. And that kind of thing. And that's not what I initially saw for myself, but I was like, it certainly would be nice to capture some audience. And so I was like, oh, I, I could, I've got stories to tell. And then, and then that morphed into, I think I made one video where it was more like informational about tech. And then I was, then I started going into, oh, well, let me tell like a funny story. And it happens to be about tech. So like people are going to have a hook for, you know, this, you know, how I got a job at Google while failing my interview, which is a real thing that happened. <laughs> uh, but I would just kind of do relatable, like software engineers be like, but that's not exactly what I was doing, yeah, but yeah. you know, that was the vibe. And then the viewership was picking
0: up. Yeah, because every yeah.
1: time I would put software engineer in my title, it would like do well. I realized fairly quickly, but then I was kind of caught in a niche. The audience that I was getting was not the audience that I wanted to be building especially like from that first video and from like the communities that I've seen, I found myself like very disconnected from my audience. Whereas, um, like one example of this is like, uh, in some of these videos I would get one comment specifically that I remember was, Oh, um, the information in here is really good, but could you like cut out the jokes? Like, like, can we compress this so that like it's like there's more information? I was like, you have come to the wrong place. Yeah. <laughs> That's you know, it's like th- this video wouldn't exist if it weren't for the jokes. The information mm-hmm. is like the thing I feel like I have to do got it. to like pay lip service to this audience. But what I really want to do is like be the goofy guy. And um
2: I just want to note that we got a very similar comment, comment on, on similar Reddit comment. recently. Really? Uh, yeah. yeah. That said, guys, I really enjoy the information here and the value. Yeah. But the jokes
1: are getting in the way. That it's. I just, now I want to validate that person's right to exist, but I I just don't relate to them, right? And it's like, and they think they're giving constructive feedback based on what they want to see, Mm -hmm. right? And now they've got some sort of parasocial relationship where they feel like they're in it with you, and right, and that's right. that can be such a beautiful thing. Yeah. But it also sort of has this Challenge. double yeah. edge. Yeah, 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 it's yeah.
2: also like saying, Jarvis, could we just remove the Jarvis yeah. yeah. yeah, from yeah, yeah. this video? That's yeah. what it
1: felt like to me. Yeah. Yeah. Right. That's what it felt, and I'm sure that's not what they you know totally. intended in writing it. There's this, in there's this true inflection point. I was watching Drew Gooden's videos on YouTube, and this was 2017, so he had just he had like a hundred thousand subscribers and his like video that had just came out was like his 5,000 subscriber special. Cause like after his 5,000 subscriber special, his like channel blew up. And, uh, and I was like, Oh, this is so cool because, and I had never seen, I, I like missed the H3 wave and stuff like that. And also their version of commentary is, is not like um, I wouldn't watch that and go, I want to do this. But when I watched Drew's video, I was like, Oh, I really love. Like it sounds like you're just doing stand-up, mm-hmm. but instead of saying, "Hey, we've all had airplane food," so with that shared context, let me make a joke about it, uh, because that joke doesn't work unless we all have an experience with airplane food. Right? Yep. It, Drew, going, okay, you haven't seen this content or you haven't seen this thing. Let me share it with you, and then let me make jokes about it, because now mm. that now you're seeing it for the first time, and I'm gonna. Track wise on top of that. Maybe I'm going to hit on some of your first impressions, but do it in a comedic way. And I was like, Oh it's yeah. Like the-
0: introducing shared context.
1: Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. I, I think it's like you, you're introducing the shared context and then you're joking about it. You're yeah. setting the foundation, setting them up and then knocking mm-hmm. them down. And, um, and I was like, Oh, this is so cool. I made this video about just life hacks. And it was just like a traditional, like, let me try some goofy life hacks video and completely flopped. It like, you know it's I, I think at the time i was getting like 30 to 40k views on videos and this i think i got like 10 to 15k and it was like 10 out of 10 like worst performing video youtube is essentially saying hey try again next time yep, like this yep. isn't it. this isn't it and that, basically saying like back to day in the life of a software that's, engineer. that's release. what i because yeah. you know, that is you know to this day one of the traps you can catch like the creators can cast themselves in is like taking away the wrong thing from mm-hmm. from the analytics because of how it's presented. Especially yeah. when it's like, you know, if you're playing to a different audience, it's going to be like, hey, your audience isn't vibing with this video. And it's like, that was kind of the point actually. Yeah. Right. But around the same time, I saw Cody Co. had put out a video just called 5-Minute Crafts. And when I had put out my video about 5-Minute Crafts, I was like, no one knows what 5-Minute Crafts is. So I'm going to call it the worst life hacks I've ever seen because mm-hmm. the previous video was called the worst software engineer advice mm-hmm. I've ever seen. So I was like, this just makes sense. And, uh, but when Cody Cook called his five minute crafts, I was like, Oh, well, my video has like 10,000 views right now. If I change my title to be closer to Cody Co's, maybe there's a chance yep. that it can get recommended. I did it on the YouTube studio app even mm-hmm. like it was, I was mm-hmm. like sitting at the TV right, and I was right. like, eh, it. hit save, like move, close the app. And then um, I think a couple of days later, it got like two million views in like two days or something. Oh. It just like just completely spiked. And I was like, "Well, this is interesting." In the comments of that five minute crafts video, people are like, "You think this is bad? You should see Trum Trum." And I was like, "Okay." And then I and then I just did a video on Trum Trum, and I I did I did Trum Trum is actually the worst channel on YouTube. Um, because I was like, maybe that, you know, I was like trying to make it map as closely as I could to that audience so that that audience knew, hey, this is for you. The the video is doing okay. The the video is doing okay. But then a few days later, it was like, um, it was number one out of 10. And then all of the percentages were like 999%. Like it was just like blowing up because those people were actually watching the video. I think when I... Went into work on that Friday. The 5-Minute Crafts video had 400,000 views and the Troom Troom video had just come out. Oh, and I had 50,000 subscribers. And then when I came back that Monday, I had like 250,000 subscribers. Wow. And like that 5-Minute Crafts had like a couple million views and the Troom Troom video had like
0: hundreds of thousands
1: of views. Yeah, it was crazy.
0: Was there a thought of like, oh, maybe I should leave Patreon and be a creator. Like when did that (sighs) not start to come? Yeah, I
1: think it would take some months. Um, It was definitely like, that was the point of like, oh, because before this was just like a hobby, but this is actually like a really significant real like future. development. Yeah. yeah. Every time I would deviate from the specific niche of like talking about one of these wacky content farms, people like fell off. And I was nervous because I was like, am I building long term fans or am I just building like. Like, cause I'm not thinking about, can I do this full time yet? Because I'm worried that this might just be a fad thing mm-hmm. and I mm-hmm. might not be able to convert this into anything else. And, um, w- were people at Patreon supportive of this? Yeah. People were very supportive. So they were like, oh, cool.
0: Jarvis is becoming a creator.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Everyone was really supportive of my and myself. I think I didn't leave Patreon until I had like 400 or more thousand subscribers, like
0: what what gave you that confidence? Yeah, especially from a monetization standpoint. Yeah. Like, uh, So like, the, was there dollars coming in or like? Why, there why were, were dollars
1: coming in. I, it was like, I remember seeing the AdSense payment of like, I think like it was like $13,000 or something from one month in which a video going that viral now would do, would make all, probably a lot more money on my channel. But the CPM was really low. There was no other videos on my channel. Like, so it was just raw, these like two videos and stuff like they were championing this. And I was like, "Oh, that's like serious money. That if I was like actually able to continue yeah. this momentum, then maybe that would be sustainable. But right now, it's like not something that I can continue to capture. So was, there's was very much a leap of faith there. The transition for me was very difficult, and I, st- in many ways, I still like I'm uh, I still feel like I'm transitioning into the role of a full time creator to this day." Um, because I left Patreon officially in like February of 2019. Then I was in San Francisco with all my friends who worked in tech and were working their like tech jobs. And I was the oddball that was just like at home all day, like trying to work, going to coffee shops, like Mm. trying to figure out YouTube stuff. Um, And it wasn't, it didn't feel good. I realized yeah. that I was mm-hmm. lacking a lot of the structure that I used to have. And, and even the fitting work into the nooks and crannies life that I was living before kind of gave me structure. Mm-hmm. You, you know, yeah, it was yeah, like the, sure. yeah, yeah, it was like the, the leftover space yeah. was still a form you, of structure. You also have community. And At community. Yeah. Yeah. That's
0: I think the, the most jarring thing when we left our jobs and we're like, all right, we're going to be creators. It's very exciting. But then you're like, oh, it's just us yeah. all day. yeah. Huh? And we, yeah, had got, yeah. Strange, we, we had each other. It got strange fast. We had each other, but it got really weird. Cause yeah. it was like every day it's just you and I and we come up with the schedule and. Yeah. And then as things are like for us, things weren't working. And then it's like, you're just sitting in a room and you're like, so this also isn't working. Yeah. <laughs> you know? I mean, like, that's,
1: I, I, I feel that like, it's so funny now because I was like, "Why was I putting myself through this?" Yeah, I was like, I was kind of just like alone, uh, and I was writing and editing everything myself and shooting everything myself, obviously, and and I was just like unhappy. Yeah, <laughs> you know, it was like yeah, it was like yeah. very um, just
2: judging yourself in a timeline. Yeah. Did you have it, financial pressure
1: at this time too? So because I took so long to actually quit, I was I saved like pretty aggressively to make sure that I could afford the window of time that I was giving myself. And What
0: window of time was that?
1: So I think it was like six months. Got it. Um, So you're like,
0: I got six months to make it as a Yeah,
1: yeah. And I, I, but it was six months assuming zero income from YouTube. And Mm -hmm. I did already have income from YouTube, but I kept going, this can go away at any point. So I just have to assume it's zero. Basically, I was kind of like stuck. It was like a Mm. stuck period where I was like making stuff, but like not really that frequently. And I like wasn't, Enjoying myself, and then I went to a YouTube summit in New York where I was invited. Uh, and I was not sure why I was there um, because I was like probably the smallest creator that was there. Mr. Beast was there, for example, um, and like Marquez Brownlee and like all these people that like I was like, oh my god, Chris uh, Jenner was there randomly. Wow, wow! And, what and- is this event? Yeah, Chris Jenner was talking about like building your team, which <laughs> the cynic in me is like, oh, you mean your family? I was just like listening to what you were saying and I was like, you know what? Like I, if I moved to LA, it's cheaper to live there than San Francisco and I could probably afford to hire somebody to help me. Um, at least give me, like literally I was like, I just need a warm body to talk to. That's like a co <laughs> yeah. you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So I was like thinking of who that could be and I reached out to my friend Anastasia, who I had um, and I'm pretty sure I'm texting during Chris Jenner's talk sure.
0: yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, she was so inspiring that it was like, yeah take action yeah, yeah, yeah. In that I, I like yeah.
1: literally I took action yeah. right in that yeah. moment it's it's just such a funny, such a funny thing to me, but I was like,
2: I hope you get to tell Chris Jenner one day yeah, one day yeah, yeah, one yeah. Day. <laughs> Michael, <she's> yeah <laughs> I guess so, yeah,
1: but now I was like, oh, okay, so yeah, maybe I'll move to l a and I'll hire anastasia and and we'll like." work together and at least I'll have some, and I think we had maybe worked together on some, maybe I'd asked her to like proofread some scripts or something like that at, at that point. So she knew what I did. Um, but yeah. And and then I think a few months later, like I actually like made the move in September of 2019. And so I had a good like five ish months before COVID like happened. So then that was another like kind of false start where I was I had also hired an editor that I was working with um who you know, I love collaborating, but there is like a certain like ramp up period with anyone mm-hmm. like where you're like kind of teaching them your style and it's like they could be the best in the world, but it's just like if you have a specific thing in mind, it's hard to like Put what's in Mm -hmm. your head into someone else's head. Comedy
0: is especially challenging. Exactly, yeah, Yeah. and
1: that's. And to this day, I the editors I work with I think are incredibly talented, but I still like do the final pass of everything Mm -hmm. and just do like pacing edits and stuff like that. Um, Or I'll like literally record myself editing, or like they'll send me a cut and I'll record myself with their cut in Premiere and give notes about hyper specific things because I'm like eventually yeah I want the I want you to be able to do this but you have no idea what this is not your fault that this yeah, doesn't feel right to yeah. me yeah. you know what i mean yeah. yeah moved to LA and then and then pandemic happened like I, I started you know i was like i took a few months off uh of youtube which again like if you take months off it like really hurts the momentum of the the channel
0: going into this break i i guess i'm i'm a little confused like was the channel successful, like even
1: if you weren't maybe yeah. like yeah yeah I good, could I could yeah actually that's 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 like, a great that's a great point I yeah, everything was fine, and I could live
0: <laughs> you know what mm-hmm. I mean so th- that six month window panned out yeah, like you made the videos that
1: i I, I the made audience. the videos, I like went to VidCon, I signed with my manager, got it started doing like brand deals. Um, personally though, you're unhappy with like the process yeah, personally. I'm just like, something isn't clicking, you know, mm-hmm. but business
0: wise, it's like you made it work. Yeah. Like business business wise things, worked.
1: things are, are working. Yeah. And I think that that's the, the sort of trap I found myself in where me moving to LA and being like, what I can do anything I want to do content wise, Um, but I don't know what I want to make. Like I was like Mm. feeling like a lack of inspiration and I, I was like, I can rinse and repeat formats that are already working. Um, and, but I'm, I know that like not everything is like, I'm super excited about, and I used to have that excitement about like certain things. So I was like, oh, where did that go? And like, is it ever coming back?
0: Knowing what you know now today about the career of being a creator what do you feel like aspiring creators should know about it? Mm. Um, cause it's like the number one most desired job, Yeah, which right? is wild. Yeah. So like, and and like we know a lot about it now. Yeah. And, and like we talked about before, it's like when you made the jump, there's no like plug and play roadmap right. of like, oh, you do this, then you do that. And then boom, you're yeah. a creator.
1: I mean, I just think that, um, If you have no preference about what you do or what you make, then you can follow a roadmap and become a successful creator. Mm. But you have to ask yourself, is that something that's sustainable for you? For me, it's not. Like if it was like, okay, you're gonna become a cooking YouTuber and you just have to do these these things and you need to post these videos as frequently, I wouldn't do that just like I wouldn't be excited to like wake up in the morning and like do stuff and even now what work in my job some days I like wake up and I'm like, why am I not excited? Like, what do we need to change? Excuse me? What do we need to change? And that fl- flexibility, like I feel like I've taken um, I've made choices in my career that have expressly not uh, like furthered my career <laughs> because like, uh, because I'm still figuring things out and I don't know where I want to step on the gas. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um is there
2: a specific thing you could talk about there?
1: Well, I mean earlier I mentioned that like if I really wanted to like there were times during my channel's growth where it's like oh, if I just keep doing this thing that's successful then it, I, the numbers will keep going up. But I had already had that experience with tech where I was like, I don't wanna turn one sort of pigeonholing into another. So I'm trying to figure out how to like broaden my brand like holistically so that there's um, a wider array Mm. of things that I can do where I don't feel like I'm running the risk of like pigeonholing myself.
2: Like just covering maybe dating shows or something like
1: that. Yeah, exactly, exactly. There's
0: definitely a thing that happens as a creator where you find the thing that works. Yeah. And it's super exciting because you're like, oh my God, I found the thing that works. Yeah. And then over time you're like, oh, I found it. But why does it work? Yeah, I found a thing that works. And then you get confused of like, wait, do I like it because it works or do I like it because I like it? Yeah. And I think that's the moment where you're like, as a, as a true creative, I think you made a really good point. Like if you have no preference over what you make, it's actually easier to become successful.
1: Yeah. I mean, if you go in, I don't want to name any names, but like if you go into, okay, I'll name a name. Here we go. I don't think Darman is passionate about the content that he makes. I think that he is, he's a serial entrepreneur. We just like, he just is, he had a weed business before, before content.
0: If he was passionate, he would switch up the noodle. Yeah, spaghetti, yeah. rigatoni, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Far no, and
1: this isn't a slight against uh, a slight against that content. I would ma- I would make several slights against the content at a, <laughs> a separate <laughs> point, but it's very clear that the goal is how can I build this business, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and so then all of the questions are much easier to answer about what do you make because yeah. it's like follow the trends, make like why is there a PS five and why is there PS five in Darman and the Darman Bingo card because for that demographic uh, PS5, people are gonna be excited about a PS5. It's gonna make them think about how oh, they want one for mm-hmm, Christmas mm-hmm, or whatever. Mm-hmm. So someone getting one as a gift in a video is gonna
0: yeah, it's a know, completely distributor's something. mindset. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah, yeah. What's gonna work?
1: Yeah, and, and, um, and it works, and it works extremely well. But if you put me in charge of Darman's channel tomorrow, I wouldn't be happy, yeah. you know? So I'm like, I'm trying to figure out what makes me happy, <laughs> you know what I
0: mean? And that's an evolution. Yeah. which is challenging because you're chasing your own personal desires and yeah. you're attaching them to an audience and an algorithm.
1: Yeah, exactly. Right? And
0: you're like, hopefully if I do yeah, this so you're thing, riding a wave. Yeah, yeah. Hopefully
1: they'll follow me. Yeah. Some people are like, I'll do one for them, one for me yeah. or whatever. I would prefer to be able to like do everything for me. Um, not like in a selfish way, yeah, yeah, but yeah, like, but, sure. but more like in a way that is how do I make this sustainable for a long period of time? Because I do want to be making stuff for a long period of time.
2: So there was an article in Tube Filter where you talked about how as you were approaching a million subscribers, at 975, you like took a break, took a pause.
1: Yeah, even I, I don't even know when it was, but I definitely took... I was... Um, man, so y'all are about to hit a million subscribers yeah. soon. How are y'all feeling about it? Before I answer about myself.
0: It's a... Uh... It's an interesting thing because it's, we've been, we've been making YouTube videos for 10 years, not on this channel, but like on, you know, different channels. Right, right. It's, it's something that we've never done and that there was a long period of time that I thought would never happen.
1: Yeah, there
0: was a very long period of time where I was like, "Oh, we will never have a channel that hits a million subscribers." Right, right. And then I had to like back myself into reasoning that and be like, "Oh, we're more for niche audiences, and yeah, that's okay. Yeah, we'll yeah. we'll have a dedicated group of people." Right, and right. That, but it's still like YouTube even informs you that it's a thing you should strive for by giving you an award. Right. So you you can't help but be
2: like, right? You know, I want I want this thing. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Um, I feel like I'm already nostalgic for it. Like, yeah. There's yeah. Really not that <laughs> many physical things that you can have. Around you that speak to what this career is, right? Yeah. So I'm really excited just to get the plaque and have it on the wall. Yeah, and yeah I yeah, immediately yeah. envision
1: myself when I'm like 75. Oh, like, yeah. oh that, was, that was a good time. Yeah, yeah, That's yeah. The, this is a perfect answer. This is not how I treated reach own <laughs> subscribers. How I treated 30 <laughs> million subscribers was um, being frustrated with myself that it didn't happen sooner. Okay. Got <laughs> it. And yeah. uh, and then knowing that it, I think at a certain point I like realized it would happen eventually. So it became less of a, like it was like ah this is this is going to happen and so I was just I was just so in my head about numbers at the time, and I didn't allow myself to enjoy it. I I have a you know fatal flaw where it's like I don't allow myself to enjoy things, um, and I disqualify myself from feeling that sense of achievement. Uh, And that's that's just something that I've been working on. But it happened too with um like I, I was like a Forbes 30 under 30 thing. And I and just immediately my head goes ah you know this isn't a meritocracy you know it's like it doesn't really matter blah blah, blah. but if someone wins like an Oscar they're allowed to be excited about yeah. even if they're like it's, we didn't have the objectively best movie but still you know yeah. um, and so I think that I'm trying to just like take my take my wins um, my channel's like growth has slowed a lot recently because I just haven't been posting very frequently but. Uh, if and when I do hit two million subscribers, I think I'm going to be more appreciative of it. <laughs> Which is, yeah. I'm going to take a page out of the Colin and Samir book and, yeah, yeah. and imagine the yourself. You get there. I'll yeah. make my own plaque. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, that's the plan.
0: In this moment, are you doing everything for you? Um,
1: no, I don't think so. Like, I think that the um, but I'm I'm explore like I think that I'm doing this balance of like what works versus like exploring things that yeah, interest me. Sure. And that is like the best that I can ask for, because at least I'm I'm um, having the time and space to figure out what the next thing is because without giving, which is like the type of R and D that I couldn't do if I was like working a full-time job uh, in a completely unrelated field yeah. and then just trying to fill fill my time with like another something that something that works but there is something that changes when you go from like hobby to full time job that's like you know when it when it's just a goof on a weekend where you're like oh haha i'm going to like talk about like life hacks that's fun but then when it's like you're now like now you need to talk about life hacks. It's a completely different yeah. yeah
0: Like this this video about life hacks is also worth X dollars. Yeah, exactly. And like I need it to work so that I can right. run it. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Like, That's just
1: a completely different. Yeah. And I don't feel like I'm in that situation, but it is like sometimes I take smaller risk. Like I, I feel like I should take bigger risks to find out sooner mm-hmm, what mm-hmm. what it, those things are that I like want to be doing. And, yeah. and also what you want to be doing can change and will evolve with time. So um I think going back to like advice for people like enjoy what you're doing it it's easier like easier said than done i think at a, at a certain point um and don't let the don't let the algorithm run your life you know cuz like if i were just following the algorithm i would just be making the first thing that popped off over and over and over again. Right. Mm -hmm. Right. Because that's what the, that is the only way that you were going to kind of continue being rewarded in the same way. Perfect. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks for coming today. Absolutely. My pleasure.
0: All right. That was our interview with Jarvis Johnson. If you made it to this part, it probably means you've been liking the show. So if you could go and review the show, that would be awesome. All right, we'll be back here this week answering your questions from the Reddit. If you have a question for us, you can head over to r slash Colin and Samir. Drop a question there, we'll answer it on the show. Well, we won't definitely answer it, but we'll see it. And we'll consider answering it. And you'll have to tune in to see if we answered it. All right, thanks for listening.